Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. Hi, and welcome to episode 46 of Sleep Talk, the podcast talking all things sleep. And hi again, Moira. Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. So the theme for this episode is sleep hygiene. Think of that as rules about sleep. And we'll get into that. Are rules good? Are they not so good? Do they work? What should we be following? But Moira, what have you been up to in the sleep world? Well, things are really cranking up, I guess, for the upcoming conference. I've been busy preparing for that. There's a lot of um, sleep interest at the moment with daylight savings. Something really exciting I did recently was um, during September was um, just a bit of a fly-in, fly-out visit into remote Western Australia to talk to a group of train drivers um, about their sleep, educating them about that. And I think they obviously know the importance of sleep, but looking at how within um, within their kind of rotating roster, how to how to maximise sleep. And I think screening for sleep disorders and that discussion around that was something new for them. So that was that was really exciting. I really enjoyed that. Was a, a bit of a thrill for me to do that. I felt it was really worthwhile. What have you been, what have you been up to? Uh, just getting ready, coming into conference season. Yeah. So, you know, as you talked about, sleep down under in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm off next week to the Southeast Asian Academy of Sleep Medicine meeting in Nagpur. Yes. Uh, catch up right. with all my colleagues in India, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. And it's always been a great conference. So It's probably building now. Is it, is it one of those ones that keeps getting bigger every year? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We had about 600 delegates last year. Gee, that's and I haven't. Good checked in with the team to mm-hmm. see exactly how many we're expecting this year. But yeah. certainly in terms of organisational structure, the secretariat's a great secretariat. Yeah. So I think it'll be a really strong meeting. Good. I must get there one year. So the theme for this month's podcast is sleep hygiene. Almost everyone's heard that term, sleep hygiene, but often doesn't necessarily have a good understanding of what it means. So we'll try to outline that. And it is one of the core components of cognitive behaviour therapy of insomnia. So, you know, we talk a lot about that. It's a package of treatments for insomnia. And often the sleep hygiene piece is the piece that's the most widely disseminated information. It's has been on tear-off pads at doctor's surgeries. It's available online. It's the advice that's dispensed by almost everybody. You read online articles about sleep and they're just quoting sleep hygiene. Everyone we see more, by the time they come to see us, they've really well and truly had the sleep hygiene lesson. That's right. They've actually, they could write the book on that. They're very well versed in how much coffee they should or shouldn't be having, you know, levels of alcohol, the light light or darkness in their room, the warmth, et cetera. There's a whole lot of, yeah, the, the listicles they can recite. But one of the most important things is all those modifications, all those changes, has it improved things or not? Mostly. Uh, in my case, um, a lot of people it hasn't really done so. So Moira, tell us, what actually is sleep hygiene? Well, sleep hygiene is nothing to do with hygiene, like cleanliness, as the as you might think. It's just a term that was um, coined back in 1977 by P. Howry, who is now since passed away, a very prominent sleep researcher from the USA. And I think it's just, apparently I didn't know him Colleagues of mine that knew him well said, oh, look, it's just a sort of an off-the-cuff thing that I just said. It's a bit like, you know, social jet lag or something. It just stuck. The term just stuck. It's really just a list of um, uh, mostly behavioural principles, just handy sleep tips that, if done regularly, are meant to improve your sleep. 
and make the conditions for sleeping better. So they are lots of different things. Like I don't have an exhaustive list of what sleep hygiene exactly is, but the types of things are, you know, the managing your caffeine intake, being aware of the light in your room, being aware of being quite regular with your get-ups and wake-up, you know, going to bedtimes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything really from, you know, f- food and nicotine and caffeine, alcohol, etc. But what it isn't, and I'll just jump straight into this now, what it isn't is that it doesn't necessarily address any sleep-specific anxiety that might be there. So I think that sleep hygiene in itself obviously is not nothing wrong with it. Like it's good, sound, very, very good principles that for the general population are really sound and helpful sleep tips like really do probably, you know, they do work. But someone who's developed a quite a significant anxiety and some concern about their sleep and they're already, they're very a bit rattled about it. It's, it's frustrating. It's just a dreadful sort of thing that gets under your skin. You get nervous about the nighttime coming, get worried about the night, almost fingers crossed, hope tonight's okay. So a lot of pressure on the sleep. It is the very last thing that I'll be bringing out, like a list of do's or don'ts around your sleep. So the sleep hygiene itself, those lists of things, doesn't address someone's concern and anxiety about their sleep. Because as we know, the core principle of CBTI, one of the first things is the behavioural principle of matching the time in bed with the amount of sleep that you're actually getting. Mm -hmm. So if you're sleeping poorly, you're only getting maybe, you know, less than six hours, maybe four or five, you can't go to the sleep hygiene rules and, you know, get your eight hours or get into bed at 10 and, you know, get up at six and have this structure. You actually have to abandon the list for a period of weeks till you actually get back to actually maybe staying up a bit later, not taking the concern, you know, we've done episodes on this, like letting it go, like let go of the rules, let go of the rigidity, let go of the rituals. And that's where, that, so that's my beef with sleep hygiene. And it's it's one of those things that my profession as a psychologist, we we are very good at that. Like people, they, people often think that they're treating the insomnia with this list of things. Inadvertently, we have to do a lot of education around that, which we're doing. And um, as you know, you know, our colleague Haley is doing her PhD and looking at how um, the how much sort of education, how much knowledge people psychologists in Australia have and about sleep and treating sleep problems. But we do, yeah, we just we just know that the sleep hygiene in itself, not only is it ineffectual, but I, I would say is actually harmful to that to that particular subgroup of people who are who are very who are pushing getting very, very rigid and uptight about their sleep. Yeah, and it's not just psychologists. You know, if I look at other healthcare providers, so um, medical practitioners or other healthcare professionals, and if you and I ask people, okay, before you came to see us, what advice have you been given or what have you done around sleep? It's quite often sleep hygiene. Yeah. And then the next tier they got was sleep hygiene. Yeah. And then the next tier was... Sleep hygiene. Yeah. And that's both very frustrating for people because yeah. now in you know, in twenty nineteen, sleep hygiene's out there in the community. People are accessing that yeah. information. It's pretty easy to get, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty easy to find a list of rules. Mm. I sort of think conceptually of sleep hygiene is the types sensible things to make sure you've got a reasonable environment for sleep yeah. and that your brain and body are in a reasonable state for sleep. That's right, to, to optimise the conditions. Not having to be perfect, but just mm. in a reasonable environment, mm. in a reasonable sort of state mm. for, for sleeping. Yeah. Uh, and if we look at the rules, you know, they have evolved a bit over the years and some sets of rules have included a few and dropped out a few, but they are those common sense 
yeah. type of things. Yeah, and, and here I am sort of saying my beef and being this disparaging about it. But even in my practice, you need to actually still address it. You still have to, in the very first conversation with someone about their sleep, you still do have to check out their caffeine intake, check out sort of their, their patterns, check out you know their exposure to light or... Um, you know, how noisy, you know, have you got a noisy partner snoring, all that sort of stuff. Because every now and then, like, I mean, it hasn't happened for many years, but, you know, occasionally it's this single session therapy that the actual first assessment has has uncovered, you know, 1.5 litres of Diet Coke or something that people go, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I don't drink gel coffee. Yeah. But they've got some kind of soft drink or some something that's like, wow, that I reckon that would make a big difference. That's a huge, you know... So sometimes, it, yeah, it's, it's certainly worth. You have to. You can't ignore it. Exactly. But you can't rely on it as your your soul. You're only tricking your bag. Yeah. So in preparing for this podcast, I, I was reading textbook in this area that um, Leon Lacks contributed to, and um, one of the sort of points about sleep hygiene that Dan Bicey had written about twenty years ago in a paper was that it is something that should be covered with all individuals with insomnia. Yes. I agree. And not yeah, it has to be. But stepping back from that, and even Hori wrote that it should be. It works better when it's individualised for each individual patient, yeah. rather yeah. than everyone just being totally beaten up with the whole list. And yeah. this is what you must be doing this yes. in, this entire well, list. Well, yeah, I found that I used to have a lot more handouts. Like you know, ten years ago, I'd have these sort of handouts that I'd photocopied, etc. Not only did we, we don't really do that anymore, anyway. Lots of sort of a paperless society. But what I found better was me just with a pen and a little pad and dot pointing, in, individualizing it for that person. Really, like there's, I found even after there's, there's so many similarities, of course, but every single client or patient is very different, and the things that are keeping them awake or the the things that are disturbing their sleep patterns, are, are, they are very individualized. Did sleep hygiene exist pre nineteen seventy seven? I like going back to my collection of old books around <laughs> you sleep. Do. I do. So um, William Hammond, who was the 11th American uh, Surgeon General, wrote a book in the 1860s. You happen to have it with you? Which I happen to have with me, <laughs> called Sleep and Its Derangements. Oh, wow. That's a new, I haven't seen that one. They've certainly been uh, republished. It's a very glossy, nice cover. Not, <laughs> doesn't look like 1860s to me. <laughs> So you, 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 know, you know me, I'm obsessional enough. I do have an original 1860 edition, oh. but that stays in the office. <laughs> and then I have my recently republished version, which I which comes with you me carry, and I can read. You'll carry and, on. You'll carry along. Do and, go on. <laughs> but, but interestingly, the term hygiene comes up. So in the 1860s, 150 years ago, they talk about, so he's got a chapter in his book called The Treatment of Wakefulness. So we think of it, you know, insomnia as a problem of lack of sleep. Yes. Whereas they framed it as too much wakefulness. Yeah, I so it's like that. Sort of coming at it yeah. from the other way. Yeah. But it really does outline sleep hygiene measures and talks about food, not eating too late. It mm. talks about exercise and having to have some exercise. It talks about avoiding caffeine. It talks about the effects of alcohol. Wow. So 100 years before this 1977. Right. It talks like about term. a warm bath, a really nice sort of section on applying cold water to the head in cases of insomnia. And then I wow. think of some of the work on that cooling device that sits on the yes, forehead and the prefrontal yes. cortex that doesn't uh, switch off. It's ancient times. 
So what did he call it though? What is there, what's, the, what's, the, what's the umbrella term for all uh, these lists of so, things? So he doesn't call it sleep hygiene. No. But let me move on to my next book. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. But the term hygiene is talked about in a sleep sense throughout the 19th century. And it fits with that Victorian stuff we talked about in the previous episode where we talked about sharing a bed. So the in Victorian times there was this sense of if someone breathed on you, there was mm. the vapours and mm. you uh, would be unhealthy. Mm. So hygiene around sleep had this meaning about no one breathing on you. It had stuff to do with the bed clothes. So this term of sort of hygiene, not cleanliness, but just hygiene around sleep has been around since the 19th century. And then with William Hammond's work, that started to come into the treatment of wakefulness and good behaviours around sleep. I have another book by Joseph Collins, and this is from about 100 years ago, from 1912, and he was a physician to the Neurological Institute of New York. You like the title of this book, Sleep and the Sleepless, Simple Rules for Overcoming Insomnia. Oh, well, wow. so simple rules, simple which rules. are the same sort of stuff. Food yeah. and drink before yeah. retiring, yeah. exercise, having a warm bath, being in the right frame of mind, making sure that you're only going to bed when you're feeling sleepy, so bringing yes, in some stimulus yes. control, taking 10 deep breaths, allowing the eyes mm-hmm. to remain closed, alternating 10 breaths with the eyes open, you know, well, relaxation, visual, visualization <laughs> yeah. techniques, distraction. So a lot of stuff that's really actually very good, familiar. Isn't it? Yeah, very familiar. And that, some things don't change, do they? Like that, that's 100 years ago, yeah. but that same stuff would have been written about... Maybe 200 years ago. Right. Unfortunately, I haven't got books that old. (laughs) (laughs) You will. You'll find some. Yeah. And then if you move forward a bit further to Nathaniel Kleitman's book on sleep and wakefulness, which is an absolute classic from the late 1930s, one of the first sort of really classical sleep textbooks, there's a whole chapter, chapter 30, The Hygiene of Sleep and Wakefulness, which describes good good behaviours that are conducive to sleep. Now, they're not itemised. I think what Peter Horry did was, you know, itemise them in bullet points and make it very digestible and mm. very consumable because mm. all of these other mm. books, it's a chapter without yeah. bullet points and yes. they're very wordy. And, yeah. yeah, it wasn't mm. a list. Mm. And so I think, you know, what Horry did in his book in, you know, 1977 is turn it into a list that then really lends itself to public dissemination and yeah. a much more broad. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it was the intention for yeah, what he meant it for is is different to now. He he didn't know what was going to be like with this explosion of the the internet and and people being so reductionistic these days of just searching, 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 like searching with your fingertips to do your research and just tell me in in five or seven points like to help tell me how to solve this solution, not just with sleep, with everything. You know, yeah. we 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 reduce things down to to lists or to dot points. Because now apparently, you know, we can't concentrate for, for for too long. Apparently, you know, one minute or whatever it is. You know, anyone that's doing online videos and things like that, you, we're told, you know, 45 seconds or something is it. So this, these days, this sort of the list, um, as people are searching for lists and searching for give me, give me the, just tell me what to do. I often get told that, just tell me what to do. Whereas, so that sort of behavioural stuff, but the, the process of learning to let go of your worries and learning to delegate, perhaps, or learning to be more assertive so you don't have to, you know, some of those problems that do keep people awake at night, they're not going to be found on that list. You know, the behavioural stuff, you can do that. 
it's really good. I like certainly wouldn't, hopefully wouldn't do any harm, but it does do harm when you get caught up in the rigidity of it and it's too ritualized and that you think I have to have a little tiny piece of toast before bed because that's what the to- that's what the book told me. Yeah. It becomes a bit ridiculous. So let's make it practical. So Moira, it's 2019. I'm coming to see you because I'm having trouble sleeping. Yeah. What's the Dr. Moira Junger sleep hygiene recipe? Well, the sleep hygiene recipe is not to give a list of sleep hygiene recipes or, or even to, to call it that. I would just, I, I in in my assessment in our first conversation, I would check out people just via conversation, just check out how much caffeine you're having, check out your sleep patterns, like what, what time to get into bed, what time you're getting up and, and all that, how regular it is. I'd be asking about your food. Uh, and the timing of such, particularly based on our recent podcast. So, so yeah, so the sleep hygiene. And I actually tell a story. I often tell, tell a story about a journalist. I'm going to get him on. We're going to get him on one day. I wonder, okay. I've been thinking about it recently. So I'm going to bring him up and just say, remember me? Because he did a fantastic article not that long ago. Well, maybe it was 2013 or so in um, Big Weekend magazine in, the, in Australia on the, in the you know Saturday papers. And he talked about how he, he for years, for years and years and years, he, he gave up coffee, he gave up alcohol, he stopped going to late movies, stopped going to parties, he, did, he wanted to be in bed by 10 to get his eight hours. He, all this, the list of things, the sleep hygiene stuff, I sort of talk about it rather than, I just tell a story about him, how he did that for a long time. Nothing seemed to really work. He realised then when he started, he said, oh, I'm going to just, just take the foot off the, um, you know, just let go a bit. I'm getting, nothing's working. Um, I'm, I'm miserable. Mm-hmm. And he started to have a little bit of caffeine, really reasonable, moderate amounts. He started to have moderate amounts of alcohol again. He started to have a bit more fun. He went out. He saw a late movie every now and then. <gasps> Heaven, and he actually slept better. Yep. He started to sleep better. And I say to people, you know, are you? can you feel, is there some of you in that story? Do you feel like you can relate to that? How you just do get really caught up in the, all these because it's because you can see why people are desperate. Like it's a dreadful, dreadful, horrible situation when you're not sleeping. It's okay every now and then, but if it's every night for months and weeks, you know, so people are really distressed and rightly so. And they so, but but they need. I I just gently will point out if they if that's relate if they relate to that, and I say, well, we're, we're going to just steer you away from that then. I'm going to steer you away from having too many rules. And I just go straight into um, talking about what CBTI is mm-hmm. and that one, what I'm going to get you to, based on your sleep diary, or if they haven't got a sleep diary, just we just talk, we construct it there and then and talk about, tell me about the last week. And they know, <laughs> they certainly do know what it, what it was, what their sleep patterns were. And then we base it on that and say, well, I want you to not get into bed then till 12.30. Because look, you know, tell me you haven't been to sleep before one for 10 years. So why are we, why are you getting to bed at ten? I know I know why, but yeah. so have a bit of faith. So you learn to have a bit of faith. We're going to stay up a bit later. Wait till you're sleepy and tired. And we're also going to anchor it in the morning. Like you have to be up by say you're off. It seems like you're often up around five or six anyway. So we're going to get you off around six, no matter how much sleep you've had. And so start building a rapport, start building a trust, and and build that build the pattern around that with with very little emphasis on sleep hygiene, yeah. but having addressed it, having got what I need from them to look at what potential barriers and stimulants are there. And I take a very similar approach. It's really yeah, just making sure, I try and phrase it as making sure someone's not disrespectful of sleep. Yeah. And as long as they're not disrespectful of sleep, that's it. We're, mm. we're done with that. Mm. Let, let's move on. But how do you explain what you mean by that? Oh, sure. Mm. So just in very simple terms, not doing the wrong things. 
mm. around sleep. Mm. So not doing engaging in behaviours that are going to be deleterious to sleep, so being too active before mm. bed. You know, all those, all those yeah, like hygiene measures. Yeah, laptop in the bed. And right, so those type of measures. Other types of words or ways of describing things I'll talk to people about is on your sleep hygiene checklist, I only need you to check 50% of the points rather than 100% yeah, of the points. Yeah. I just need you to pass that subject, not yeah. ace it and get a <laughs> H1 because yeah. that carries over into some of those people you know, with traits of perfectionism that are a higher risk of getting insomnia and they're just putting in all those rules. Yeah. And another way I'll phrase to people is, you know, you implemented, much like we talked about earlier, you implemented all those changes to your sleep behaviour some years ago mm-hmm. and despite doing them for a number of years, you're still not sleeping better. Yeah. So then so how about we start to chip away yeah. and let go? So they probably the, aren't some of those the variables that we need to focus right. on. Yeah. And that's not what's got you into your current situation, so it's not the pathway yeah. to, get, to get you out of that yeah. situation. Yeah, you know, these are intensely smart people you know, and they're very self-aware and so they're yeah, very open to this new approach. So we've talked a little bit about how we use sleep hygiene. Is there any data? Does it actually work? Well, the data that I've seen says that pretty much on its own, it doesn't really work. What do you Do you agree with that with what you've read? Yeah, absolutely. So that's my reading of the data as mm. well. Um, you can look at studies that break it down, so break down the individual instructions as maybe instructions for normal sleepers, and if you make one change, does that help with sleep? But if you're looking at sleep hygiene as a package and you're applying it to a population of people with insomnia as a sole therapy, data's not there yeah. to show that it's going to yeah. have a significant effect. Yeah. By the time someone's coming, engaging in the specialist sleep services, like the sort of services you and I are involved with, we absolutely want to be moving beyond sleep hygiene. But where its role may well be is even almost before people engage with the healthcare system. So they're yeah, in the community, right. well, okay, first step, okay, make sure you're at least respectful mm. of sleep hygiene principles. Mm. But then once you've engaged with the healthcare system, it's not the time to then keep pushing the, mm. the sleep hygiene. I've rarely come across anyone who's had sleeping problems for some time or sleepy con- sleep concerns about their sleep for some time that haven't got an A plus with their sleep hygiene. Yeah, very, um, very nice point because that's actually what I'm wanting them to do is drop some rules. That's right. As you said, you, want, you don't want the A-plus anymore, which is very hard for these high-achieving people who who are self-aware and are self-starters and, and want to just get to the bottom of it. It's very hard to drop it down to 50%. Right. Because they, they've aced it. Yeah, they, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, so, it's, so you don't really need it. I was thinking it's a good, um, almost a wait list thing, like while people are waiting to see you, they've got at least something sure. to do. In sometimes, you know, in trials and things, it's often discussed as a as a – a waitlist thing, a, con- a control condition, but it's not really it's not really anymore because everyone's so across it, like it's just yeah. at your fingertips. Yeah, when I think about sleep hygiene, there's the you know, what phase is someone in terms of their engagement with the healthcare system? You know, community versus sort of primary care yeah, versus specialised right. care, mm-hmm. and then I'm also thinking what phase timing wise they are in their insomnia because sometimes we don't think about that, but I'm sort of thinking about acute insomnia versus sort of evolving into mm-hmm. chronic insomnia versus chronic insomnia that's been there for three months or more. Yeah. Once it's that chronic insomnia, that's when the sleep hygiene's not the key. Yes. But in that yeah. acute insomnia, yeah. it can actually yeah. be quite helpful. 
So if people are looking for more information about sleep hygiene, the Sleep Health Foundation has a fact sheet mm. of sleep hygiene. I haven't checked it. I hope it's not just a list of this is what you should do. Um, yeah, there's a post on. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> there's a post on sleep hygiene on Sleep Hub that I've written, and also a separate post that I'll put a link to about dropping some sleep rules. So how if you do have a lot of rules around sleep, how you can start to chip away at that. Well, we've come to the time of our clinical tip, but I think you've probably nailed it already, Dave. Yeah, I've already um, spent all my bullet points and (laughs) emphasised what I wanted to say, but really to try and pull it together. So for health professionals working with people who've got sleep problems, don't push too hard on the sleep hygiene. Just make sure people aren't being disrespectful of sleep. And I really like Hori's recommendation about individualising sleep hygiene. So make sure you check off for everybody that they're not doing the wrong things. Then look at individualising some instructions about trying to ensure the environment's adequate for sleep and they're adequately prepared for sleep. But then as healthcare professionals, we've got to move on to the next components, the other core components of CBT for insomnia, sleep restriction, stimulus control, cognitive therapy, relaxation strategies, metacognitive techniques like mindfulness or ACT. So that's the challenge for healthcare professionals. We've passed sleep hygiene. So Moira, what's your pick this month? What's caught your eye? Based on my new interest and experience in workplace sleep and workplace mental health, um, particularly my little fly-in, fly-out, you know, Western Australian thing last month, I've been doing a lot more reading around that kind of stuff and, you know, shift workers and uh, paramedics and firefighters, et cetera, just to get, I'm really, just want to get my head around that a bit more. It's been an area that I've obviously been interested in, but hasn't been a big part of my clinical work. Um, but I came across a really good paper from Alex Wolko and um, the group out at Monash Ashantha's group. And it's called Associations Between Sleep Disturbance, Mental Health Outcomes and Burnout in Firefighters and the Mediating Role of Sleep During Overnight Work. And it's a massive study. And I think people will we'll put it into the show notes for people to have a look at this. It looked at over 6,000 USA firefighters and it just highlights that the, the need to screen for sleep disorders, I think, and even not only while people are in the work, but even pre-work. I think people getting into that kind of work, should there should be a lot more screening for the potential for sleep disorders. Um, people who really like their long sleep and their regular sleep, but just they just get very burnt out and exhausted very quickly because there was um, a really increased risk of emotional exhaustion and burnout, um, particularly when with this, with sleep loss and with there was mental health um, conditions as well. So that's another thing that needs to be screened. They saw a, a, a really strong association. So yeah, sleep loss and mental health conditions are definitely associated with burnout, which, of course, it should be no, it's no surprise, but it's really nice to have this really neat data, really elegant elegant yep. way of doing it. And um, I think we'll just grow, we'll just keep growing and um, on that. And we, I just think there's going to be much better outcomes, hopefully, for, for workers. What's caught your eye in the last month? Well, I want to promote a book. Now, I'm a bit cautious about the title of the book. It's called Sex Down Under. Oh, my God. Right. And I posted it on Facebook <laughs> I, recently, and unfortunately, the picture that pulled into Facebook was sex in big words. Oh. <laughs> and so my, my wife sent me a text and go, what the heck are you posting on Ooh. Facebook? And but, but the okay. reason to, I haven't heard about this book. But oh. the reason to promote the book, it's Maddie Silver, who's a sex therapist. She writes really well, and it's got a, actually a very moving forward by Michael Kirby talking about growing up as someone who's gay mm-hmm. and 
you know, didn't really come out until later on in life and the challenges of that. Uh, but Manny Silver and I wrote some articles together about sexomnia, so ah, sexualised yes, behaviours yes. during sleep some years ago, and they've actually formed one chapter. Oh, of, of the, the book. book. So you're plugging yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get Sorry. any royalties from the book, but uh, Oh, yeah. okay, great. So, so there you Good go. There's a chapter on well sexomnia in the book. <laughs> There's so many things we need to cover. What's coming up in future episodes? Yes, I'm still trying to work on an episode on cannabis and sleep because that's Mm. something I get asked a lot about. (gasps) Me too. Clinically. Mm. The next episode we're going to do is on tracking sleep. So I'm going to get to indulge some of my tech biases and tech things about some of the new technology for measuring sleep and some other things, pain, big data. So lots of things. No No shortage of topics. Well, I'll see you at uh, Sleep Down Under and good luck in India. Yeah, I'm looking forward to just a brief interlude in India for about four days on (laughs) on the way to the Sleep Down Under conference in Sydney. So yeah, follow my socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you're interested in seeing what we get up to at the Southeast Asian Academy of Sleep Medicine conference in Nagpur. Thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure. It's good to be back in the chair. Please send us any suggestions at podcast at sleephub.com.au. And if you like the podcast, Review us on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe via any podcast app. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.